Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Thanks so much, Darlene. It is another rendition of Catch and Shoot. And my running mate is back. His name is Otto Strong. But before we bring back Otto, real quick, coming up on today's show, Mac Ingle, columnist for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, will join us. We'll talk Luka Doncic. We'll talk some Mavs. We'll also talk some Lakers. But before we get to all that, I have to welcome him back in. Things have been a little bit hectic. He's also been on vacation. Otto, how's it going? Things are going well, man. Um, I'm looking forward to the rest of these playoffs. It's been it's been uh, crazy. We so we had up here, um, um, spend some time in Connecticut. There was a major power outage. I got sick for a little bit. I did have a few days off, sitting on the couch watching some watching some hoop. But it's good to be back, man. And you're looking you're looking fly. Now it looks like you've been to the barbershop. <laughs> No, no, dude, I wish. I, I need to get my fade trimmed up. That's the problem. See, you only get to see the front end. You don't see the sides where it's just like overgrown. Okay. But uh, we're trying to get there. But so, so real quick, before we get to all that, what can we expect from Mac before we toss to that interview here? Like what type of guy is Mac? What can our listeners expect? Because this is someone you know really well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I work with Mac now for, for eight, eight, eight months and change. Uh, he is... Uh, he is a sports guy through and through. He's uh, been with uh, Fort Worth Star-Telegram for about 20 years. Uh, uh, he's, he's a guy who, you know, he just doesn't watch. He actually plays. He gets out there. He likes to, he likes to run a little bit with the young guys. And uh, so I think, you know, and he's definitely got some interesting perspectives and he is not, not, not shy. Definitely not shy. <laughs> all so. right. I'm sold. I'm excited about this. So, so you mentioned you've been watching the playoffs. I think we all have, and I think we've all been really enjoying it. And we've got some shock and awe moments so far. You know, for me, when I was watching, one of the things I was really excited about was to see how the magic would go opposite of the Bucks. Mm. You know, they took game one against the Bucks, and then since then it's kind of reverted back to scripts and the Bucks have kind of showed their dominance. In the Western Conference, we saw something similar with the Blazers. Now this Blazers team and had a run through those seeding games where it kind of felt like every single game Portland was playing was a playoff game. They go up against the Lakers, they take game one. Now it seems like the Lakers have kind of regained control of that series. What are your thoughts on what you've seen from LeBron, AD, Kuzma with this Lakers team and vice versa? How impressed have you been, despite what happens with Portland the rest of the way, how impressed have you been with Dame Lillard and these Blazers? 
Oh my God. Uh, so Dame, I mean, geez, he's you know, what 61 and, God, and, and it's, it's just every <laughs> night, right? It's, and, and it's not just the, the number of points, but it's the kinds of shots that he's hitting them and when he's hitting them. Um, and the, the, you know, and, and what he's doing in front of him, mean, he's got, I mean, it looked like to me, he's got a hand in his face and, you know, for most of these shots, um, and he's just been willing these guys, you know, to win. And I, and I, I, I gotta say, and this is not nothing to do with, with Portland, but I'd be remiss if I didn't, didn't bring this up. I mean, Phoenix, yeah. whoa, I mean, eight, no, yeah. I, and I, you know, I know this is old news now, but, 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 yeah, cause I haven't been on a while, but, but wow. I mean, Devin Booker and those guys have been balling out of control. And if not for, I guess what, if, if the if Portland had lost last game, then, then Phoenix would have been in, which would have been a lot of fun. But, but I mean, you, Dame cannot be stopped or could not be stopped until, until you know, we, we ran into game two. That, that, that's a really good point that, that we haven't touched on. We saw a lot of breakout performances in this bubble play. You know, mm-hmm. we, we touched on it a little bit off air, but Donovan, Donovan Mitchell has 250-plus mm-hmm. point games. Dame Lillard is just the alpha dog of all teams so far in this bubble. You have Luka Doncic, who we're going to touch on a lot. Has it surprised you? these just breakout games that we've seen. Everyone knew that Devin Booker was a big time scorer. You know, he said 70 plus point games before and he is the ultimate shooter. But does this surprise you how this younger crop of NBA stars has asserted themselves in this environment? Uh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, me think back to, to a month ago. I mean, if you, if you told me, okay, Otto, here's the deal. I'm going to give you I'm not really a gambling guy, so I may muff on the lingo yeah. here. But basically, if you told me <laughs> that, that there would be no cases, zero cases of COVID in the bubble, I would have said, okay, this is, this is my day to get your car, get your house, you know, or whatever else you feel like giving away. But that's not how this went down. And that is, I mean, I think that that kind of set the, you know, you know what you could do when, you're, when your mind is at ease, when you're in a good situation, when you're, when you're not worrying about getting sick, you can really just go out and do your thing. And I think what the NBA did is, is we'll look back on it as a genius move to have the bubble, to create an environment where players, all they had to do was play and not worry about all the, you know, whether someone's going to get COVID or not. Obviously, they do worry about that. I'm not saying they don't worry about that, but they have managed to do it in such a way that it, it seems to me from the, from the outside that it's become secondary and the ball can, can shine and it's, it's, it's been amazing. It has a college atmosphere to it. Like mm. players are getting along. They're not going to their homes afterwards. You know, they're not going out. They're, they're just going out and playing ball every single day and it's been fun. And, and we'll close on this before we toss to Mac. How impressed were you with the Lakers, with how they closed out game four? Granted, Dame Lillard won't play in game five. But is this Lakers team good enough to win the championship? The one that you saw the other night? Uh, the one that, that the one that started Game Four and ended Game Four, absolutely. I think what they started on a 15-0 run. Uh, they they were. I think we saw AD at one point diving the ball, yeah. diving the floor midcourt, and then he threw the ball kind of over his head on the. I mean, that that's that's what you that's what you hoped you were going to get at the start of the season, and uh, it took a few weird, odd twists and turns, but we kind of got here, and it feels like. They are now headed to the finals. I mean, I'd have to say that, based on what I've seen from from the Lake, from the Clippers, rather, I, I can't imagine a team beating these guys four out of seven. Absolutely, and that team that they could play or face could potentially be the Mavs. And let's go ahead and welcome mm. in your coworker, Mac Engel. 
So we're joined by Mac Engel, who's the sports columnist for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. I know him because he works for me, and therefore he has to do exactly what I say. Uh, but in all seriousness, Mac, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on this. I know you've done this for a long time. So I was kind of flattered when you, uh, when you asked me to join your Pure Hoops podcast. I don't get a chance to do this stuff very much, so I'm certainly not going to turn down the invitation because, as you said, you do sign my performance review. <laughs> Well, uh, so 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 let's get into let's get into it because we got a lot of stuff to talk about with respect to uh, uh, the Mavericks and Luca and what we are witnessing in the moment that we're saying this and taking all this stuff in. Uh, so we're, we're so we're not fooling anybody. You're not in the bubble. I'm not in the bubble. We're we're watching this on TV like most folks. What was your impression of what went down on Sunday? That uh, there's about five or eight guys in the history of pro basketball who did what he did. Not just have a great game in a big moment, but he did it not at 100%. And we don't know how bad that sprained ankle was, but we know it was bad enough that he came out and tried it at the end of or in the fourth quarter of game three and he couldn't go. And anybody who saw him turn it when he was sort of half collided with Kawhi Leonard in the third quarter, when he sustained that injury, you knew he was not 100%. Now, clearly, as game four went on, Otto, it wasn't bothering him at all. Adrenaline warmed up. He was okay. But the fact that he did it, the way he did it, not many guys have ever done that, ever. Larry Bird, Willis Reed, Michael Jordan, the pizza game now, um, probably a handful of others that if you sat there and thought about who played at less than 100%? I'm talking really less than 100% the way he did. And then just went off and capped it with just the baddest ass game-winning three-pointer at the buzzer that you could possibly conjure up. And it just hasn't happened very much. So when he did it, I'm like, brothers and sisters, that's history. That's awesome. And Mac, the, the impressive thing is, you know, We've talked about the poise that this kid plays with for a long time. I think everyone's mentioned it at some point. But to do it against the trio defenders that that Clippers team has, I mean, you're talking about Leonard, George, Marcus Morris, all three of those guys. And to do that, not 100%, like you said, there's not a lot of players on earth that could do that right now, let alone someone who's only in his second year. No, and it's the way he does it because – He's a big guy. I mean, he, he's a big, bulky 6'8". Now, not fat, but he's a very – that's a muscular 6'8". He doesn't have the world's quickest first step. He's not lightning to the rim. What he is is exact. I have a friend of mine who's Lithuanian. He played on one of the Lithuanian national teams, and he very much follows European basketball. He used to coexist in some other places, and he talked about how good this kid was. And he said the thing that not enough people were putting credence into – is that he was MVP of a team in league that was playing against adults. It wasn't like he was just lighting up some AAU tournament with 16 and 17 and 18-year-olds or even maybe a college game with 20-year-olds, all fully developed adults, and Doncic was kicking their butt. So that was the part that I listened to him. And I thought, if he's doing that there, he's going to come over here and be way ahead of the average 20 or 19, 20-year-old because he's been playing against fully developed grown men for an extended period of time. And I think we're seeing that right now. And 
he's as much fun as I can remember watching a young guy play and because he's just so much further along. And normally the, the learning curve on these guys is such that when you watch a rookie, you expect that they're going to slide, they're going to just go through whatever it is that a young guy does. This guy really doesn't because he play, he's been playing high-level pro basketball, even though it's overseas, for a much longer period of time than the average rookie or young player. Hey, so so what, here's the thing that, that kind of gets me with the, with the bubble. And I know that it's COVID, big picture, so I'm not trying to act like, you know, we're going to be crying here. But, but when Michael Jordan was coming up, you knew he was going to be something special. He had that huge game in the garden. It was kind of the Boston Garden going all the way back to 86. Okay. It's like kind of like the coming out party, if you will. And we, Mike Mack and I talked about this a little bit. Fans are not going to ever be able to have that moment because you, you ascend once. You know, you're, you're good for a whole lot of years, but you ascend once. And so the, this ascension, this kind of moment of Luca is happening with no fans, no one to – kind of bear witness, if you will, aside from the, you know, aside from the folks in the, in the, in the back there in the bubble, the electronic fans. But I was trying to get, get a sense of, of where both of you guys thought on how is, is this different, will it be remembered any different than, uh, and, you know, putting aside Jordan, yes, he, he won, went on to win six titles. But at the time that he was, went to Boston Garden and lit it up, he didn't have six titles. And so, and he was actually a couple years older than Luca is now. So I don't, I don't know. There's someone somewhere in there is a question, but what your, your thoughts on the whole kind of ascension, not being able to witness it, your thought, your thoughts on that. Aaron, why don't you go ahead? You take it, Aaron. Well, I was just going to say, so I obviously don't remember those Jordan games as well as you guys do. Um, but from someone who is only in their thirties and has been following the NBA for really intently for about five, six years, the, the, the difference in this is while you're not going through the travel and you're not going through the grind of a playoff run, the things that you are experiencing on a globalized level is everybody is tuned in to these playoffs because there is such an intrigue with it. And people from not only just the U.S., but around the world are so interested in what Luca can do. And every single night, he plays with that no-fear mentality. And that's something that you very rarely see from a player that is as young as he is, as composed as he is. And the things that are probably most jaw-dropping about what we're experiencing every night is the court vision. You know, for someone who's 21 years old, his ability to know where guys are going to be and where they're at on the court and his confidence in making certain plays, you just don't see that, let alone in the NBA playoffs. Now, this is different because he's not having to go to Los Angeles. He's not having to play in Staples Center and go opposite of the Clippers in their own building in a game three or four, right? Like that takes everything out, all the variables that make the NBA playoffs what they are. But to do it in a neutral court setting where you're just going one-on-one -on -one with Kawhi in a final bucket situation, that's as impressive to me as anything that I think we've seen. I think it was, it relates to Jordan's game in 86 against Boston. One, they lost. They didn't win the series, and they did lose the game. Mm -hmm. It was still very much in that mode of, I've got to go one-on-five if we have any, any shot to win this game. He didn't, he didn't trust his teammates yet. Um, I, you know, I remember reading that in the Jordan Rules, and certainly when we saw it in the last dance, he had to go through that process before he decided, if I give up this ball, these clowns are going to screw it up. Whereas Luca, if he gives it off, there's confidence that these guys are going to make an open shot or make a good play. And that's just sort of the evolution of basketball in any ways, where we see more and more young players are more willing to give it up because 
there's confidence there and it's cool, you know? Um, Magic and Larry made it cool and then they just built off. And, and as it relates to, to the ascent, I think that's a really, it's an interesting point, you know, because you only get to do it one time. Yeah. And certainly that Jordan game helped establish a brand, but that brand really didn't get solidified until they beat the Lakers. And so I think with what Luca's doing, he's doing it in present day media consumption. Remember when Jordan was playing those playoff games, NBA Finals games were played as Sunday afternoon matinee games. Um, they didn't really all become primetime events until, you know, he, he had a lot to do with that. But if you look at NBA games now, they're all at night. I mean, th this bubble thing is an exception. The playoffs are a little bit of an exception. You know, they'll put one versus eight or stuff like that. But I think the thing that we consistently see now is that the buildup of an, like, an ascension is built up not just through television, but through social media and the common bond that is our phones. Yeah. You know, we're all sitting there. It's a glorified sports bar when Luca hit that shot. And we're all conversing, you know, worlds apart. It, it, these things have made, along with planes and everything else, the world's so much smaller that a global audience can consume all of these things where it's not on tape delay, where we don't have to wait for Sports Center. We don't have to wait for... Uh, Sports Illustrated, or even the morning paper. We don't, none of that stuff in play anymore. So I, I think the ascent is just as uh, significant as, as Jordan's. It's, it's the same way. And while this is missing, you know, Staples Center or whatever else, this is going to be memorable in its own way because it's never happened before. We, we you know, when we had a, a pandemic, only thing that really existed that played was, was college football. NBA was a pipe dream. So everybody will remember this in part because the performance was exceptional. And the shot's amazing and eternal. And he did it in a circumstance that is utterly unforgettable. He did it in the land of make-believe that is Disney's backyard inside of a bubble. So in terms of his ascent, those elements will make that moment eternal. Is it Jordan in the garden? No, it's not. And it does stink, the fact that when he hit that shot, they, there's no fan reaction. Like you mentioned, there's these TV images that are kind of weird and almost creepy. But in terms of the ascent, it will be utterly unforgettable. What does it say about the fact that he did it without a running mate? You know, Chris Stapps wasn't available for that game. He's not going to be available for the next one. What's it say that he did it without Chris Stapps? Yeah, I think we go back to that Jordan thing we were talking about. And I remember those Jordan teams. Who the hell was his running mate in 86? Brad Sellers? I, I can't, I mean, I'm really, I can't think of anybody who he passed to. Somebody had all scored. I don't know who it was. But I think it's, I think if you look at that, this Dallas team, Steph Curry had a really nice game. Now, he's not Stephen, so okay. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. had a really nice game. But the fact that he did it without his, like you said, his running mate and a guy who helped comprise the highest scoring duo in the bubble, that he, and he won there, that's pretty impressive. I mean, that stat line is ridiculous. And I know we're in a scoring era now where, you know, less games just crazy wide open. It's a lot of fun, but I don't care. That stat line is insane, especially sometimes when you look who he's giving the ball up to. Maxie Cleaver couldn't throw the ball into the ocean. 
some of those other guys do, but I got to give them credit. They all were confident. They all came to play, and none of them were scared. But the fact that he did it basically by himself just sort of lends, it just sort of helps build the, the mystique even more. What about that stat line we talked about? I mean, I looked at the Jordan stat line just because, it, look, if you say anyone, if you compare anyone to Jordan, it, you know, right away, it's like, are you out of your mind? You're crazy. Yeah. But if you look at the Jordan stat line, I think it was 22 of 41. Uh, I think he had, well, obviously had 63 points, five or six boards, five or six assists. Luca was, I think, 18 of 31. I could, I might maybe, maybe off with that, but you know, 40. I mean, I mean, over over 10 assists, over 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 10 boards. I mean, it's if you were just so if you just have the stat lines just on a piece of paper, just down without any names attached. How do you think would it be different than the Jordan game or the Luca game? Well, the difference is now is those games back then were so much more physical and no one shot threes. Right. No, Larry Bird didn't even shoot threes. And Luca took 10 threes. Uh, he made four. I'm looking at his line right mm-hmm. now. 43 points, eight of th- 18 of 31. That's an incredible percentage. Yeah. Um, 17 rebounds. That's the part that keeps I – mean, he's such a good rebounder. And 13 assists. And um, in an overtime game as opposed to a double overtime game. Yeah, right. You know, so. And I think the thing, there's, there's, there's a couple of things. One, you and I both know it's a totally different era of basketball. Mm, sure, like sure. When Jordan played, that era, one, they didn't shoot threes the way they do now. You had more conventional point guard, shooting guard, small forward, uh, big forward, center lineups. Whereas now, it's basically almost positionless basketball. Mm-hmm. Everybody can be a point guard. Everybody can be a shooting guard. Everybody, anybody can post up if they want to. So, I mean, you, the game was just so much different. But it was I, – I, you wonder what Michael Jordan would do in today's offensive game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if, that would have, if that would have forced him to develop his outside shot a lot sooner. He didn't do that until later, right. remember? And right. he didn't really become a three-point shooter until much – he never really was. He kind of was. But the, the stat line when I look at – I mean, this is – it's absurd. He shot 18 of 31. And granted, and a lot of those were hard drives to the basket. I mean, difficult plays that he makes look ridiculous easy. But of, of those numbers that I see, 17 rebounds. That's, I mean, Kawhi said it, board man gets paid. And Doncic's rebounding is highly, highly underrated. What do you make of, uh, now kind of switching to the post game? this is kind of an abrupt move here, but uh, some words were said during the game. And then after game by by the Clippers, any any, you, know, you and I have talked about race more than more than once or twice. Uh, what are your thoughts, given the climate that we're in? I mean, I I understand players are playing heat of the moment, things like that. Any thoughts on? Uh, you know, I've got a lot of thoughts on this, and I'd be curious to see what you think. So, I, you know, I played rec ball, pickup. I've been called white boy and stuff like that, and in that context, it never bothered me. Um. You know, I remember one time Otto, I was playing a game, it was a rec league game, and most of the players were, were black. And they would call, they would say to me, nice shot, boy, good shot, boy. And they would call each other boy and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, is, can I say that? Or we, what are we doing here? And seriously, and I don't mean to be, you know, ignorant, but I, I know there's some lines that you sort of have to navigate sometimes. But what Montrezl Harrell said, you're like, is it racist? No. Did it merit suspension? Probably not. Maybe a fine, okay. 
The thing that bothered me about it is that it seemed all I heard the people who were mad about it, with some exceptions, were racist white people. White people were like, see, see, he did it, he did it, it's wrong, it's wrong, suspend him, fine him, kick him out of the league. And Harold suspended or uh, talked to Luca, and Luca didn't think anything of it. He says, yeah, it's no big deal. Because I think for most white basketball players who grew up playing, even for, even if you grew up in Europe, they understand that's part of basketball language. Um, I, you know, I listened to what Mark Jackson was saying on the telecast, what ESPN analyst Jay Williams said, and I think they make good points. The NBA right now has gone out of its way justifiably so, to be aware about language. And in this case, it probably should have made a point saying, hey man, you can't say that. No. 2020, you can, you can trash talk them, but it, it technically wasn't a racist slur. People were saying, well, if Luca had said that to Harold, he'd been kicked out of the league or whatever. I'm like, I don't know about that. Now, if he had said something worse, you know, like used like, mm. the N word or some racial slur, you're damn right. But this wasn't that. It just like it just narrowly tucked under the line. And I, you know, Harold, I'm sure was embarrassed. I heard what Doc said about it, Doc Rivers. I, I do think though there needs to be awareness awareness amongst everybody to say, hey, wait a minute. Racism can exist and racial slurs can exist in, in any direction. It's not necessarily white in that direction and white in that direction. It can exist anyway, and wrong right. is wrong. Right. And I do think maybe they're merited a place to say, listen, we need to educate our players about this. Sometimes it's dumb tongue in cheek. There's a guy I play with, he's an AAU coach. He's, he gives me an earful, and, he'll, and it's constantly, he and I both do. And you know, Aaron, you probably, you can know. It, there is uh, content or intent matters, context matters. And I think with Harold, the NBA, Adam Silver, somebody needed to say, hey, look, we don't espouse this. We're not going to fine them. We're not going to suspend them. But they do probably need to maybe spank them on the butt a little bit. As a consumer, as a, as a fan, the part auto that really irritated me on my social media feeds is that it just seemed like the people who were the most mad about it were basically bigots and white people who were closet racists and wanted to see some black basketball player get punished. That's, they didn't care. They just want to see him get punished. Hmm. And it seems to me that that's the culture. To be honest, it's exhausting. But, you know, what do you think about it? Do you think they should have done something? Uh, I, I don't. I mean, nothing formally. I mean, pull, pull them aside. Just like, hey, let's, let's, let's remember, you know, what's going on around us. Uh, uh, you know, fairness is a, is, is, is a two-way street. You know, you don't want someone... You don't want someone, you know, using using language like that. So just just to have everybody kind of get on the same page and just like, hey, let's let's you know, just cool cool it a little bit. I mean, look, things happen here in the moment. Uh, you play pickup ball. I play pickup ball. I've heard all kinds of things. Um, my my dad is black. My mom's white. I've heard. I've, I've I've had people think that I'm white. I've had people think that I'm black. You know, like I've had people every which way you can imagine. Uh, I had one guy coming up to me. He's, he uh, started speaking another language I didn't know. I was like, hey, man. <laughs> I mean, things, ha things happen. But look, I mean, the, the big, big, uh, I was kind of curious to get your hook again, because we had spoken so much about, about uh, uh, you know, race and taking a knee and, and things like that over, over recent weeks um, and months. Um, and so I was curious to get your take on it. I think, 
I don't think it's that big a deal. I don't. I, I really yeah. don't. And the fact that, remember, do you remember back in the 80s when Isaiah Thomas took a shot at Larry Bird? Like it basically saying, if he was, if Larry yeah. Bird was, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Be nothing special or something, something to that effect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Got yeah. it. Just, yeah. just another player. Yeah. And Larry Bird came out and said, he knows I'm a bad man. Yeah, not exactly. Yeah. And I think Rodman had said it. And I think the bottom line is, it's just trash talking. It's just woofing. Because I would imagine, but if he didn't know it then, he knows it now. Right. Mike Russell Harrell knows that's a bad man. And, you know, just because, and you remember the altercation they had, because I think it was Doncic who had said to Harold, quit flopping. Yep. And that's when it started. And, you know, it's a seven-game series. I would be willing to bet all those guys are sick of being there. You know, they're happy to be playing and making money again. I bet they are all sick of being there. So I would imagine nerves are a little frayed, and they're highly competitive guys. And when you get that sort of, that mix of ingredients, well, here you go. Yeah, absolutely. You have guys that have been there almost two months at this point, literally sharing quarters, not only with their teammates, but with other teams that they see every day in the hallways. And things happen on the basketball court. Like we've all seen it, like you said, happen in a pickup game or whatnot. It's just part of basketball culture sometimes too. Mac, I have to ask you this before we let you go. We're four games into this series now. It's tied 2-2. You know, you look back at game one before Chris Stapps gets ejected. Mavs led in that basketball game. And I alluded to that, that that could have been the Mavs' what-if point of this series, you know. What if they win that game? And, you know, what if he doesn't get ejected? What does that do for them? Well, now they're in a dogfight to kind of finish out this series. Do the Mavs logistically, I mean, logistically they have a chance, but to close out these final three games against the Clippers team, what are your thoughts? Uh, You know, before the series started, I, I said ideal matchup because they'll lose and they can go home. Because I, I thought the goal for Dallas was just to get in the playoffs, then nobody get hurt, and go home. Well, <laughs> their second-best player is hurt. Yeah. Uh, and I think that has to be a concern moving forward. But the way they played games one, two, and four, they could beat this team. They could beat this team without Porzingis. Paul George is – I have no idea what is wrong with him. He clearly doesn't want to shoot right now. And that happens sometimes. I remember watching the NBA Finals when Oklahoma City made it with James Harden. James Harden against uh, Miami. James Harden had one of the worst series I've ever seen in my life. And that guy's nothing but a shooter. And he just gave it up. He's like, I don't want to shoot. All I'm going to do is miss. And you get guys in those situations where they're a mile in their own head, they become a huge liability. And I know Doc Rivers is saying, oh, we wanted to shoot. We wanted to shoot. At some point, you're like, God, please don't shoot it. Because if it doesn't come back early, it's not coming back. And I mean in a game, um, losing Patrick Beverly has been a major problem for that team because he's a problem. He gives, he gives other teams point guards a problem. He gave Luca a problem, and he's not playing. I think Montrezl Harrell has been awful this series. I, and I forget the comments that he's made. For a guy who is up for postseason of the year awards, he has been terrible. I think Doc Rivers has been utterly outcoached by Rick Carlisle in this series. Kawhi Leonard's great. Kawhi Leonard does things. I mean, every time he shoots, you think it's going in. He can get any shot that he wants. Uh, But the fact of the matter is, the Mavs have a better ball penetrator, and they have a really confident group of guys around him in Seth Curry's making shots. Tim Haraway's a confident player. But they're getting quality minutes out of Boban. I mean, quality minutes out of Boban. That's ridiculous. 
because they don't have anybody else in the middle. Now, the problem is he gets so tired so fast. But if go look at his stat lines. Those are some really efficient games. But, man, guys, if you watch those games, they have been the better team. Like, they've outplayed them. And I know the first quarter and a half uh, in game four, they got their butts kicked. But other than that, they were with L.A. and the better team. Um, and, you know, I interviewed Kenny Smith, the TNT analyst, before the playoffs, and he said he liked Dallas. And the reason he liked Dallas is because in this series, like you mentioned, Otto, you're not going to Staples. You're not going anywhere other than you're running open gym down the hall from the hotel. So there's no, you know, there's no home court advantage. There's no travel. There's none of that. So Dallas doesn't have to worry about those things that a normal seven seed would have to worry about. And as a result, that's a little bit of an equalizer. And I would say right now, right now, if Paul George is going to continue to do what he's doing, which is nothing, Dallas can win this game and end and, and the series. Well, everybody, you heard it here first. So, uh, so I know Mac has to go because his editor can be a little jerk sometimes and he's got a story to write. So. <laughs> So make that another podcast. <laughs> Episodic, why not? Uh, so, so on that note, thank you to Mac Engel, sports columnist, Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Talk All to right, you soon, buddy. You. Thanks, Otto. It was good talking to you. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you. That was dope. Well, Mac Engel is great. He's a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully we'll have him back. If the, uh, should the Mavs make it to the second round, we could do this again real soon. But uh, until then, looking at the Eastern Conference, Philly, what I mean, I know Ben Simmons got hurt, but what the heck happened? Dude, I, I think that was a big part of it. You lose Simmons and all of a sudden you lose that dynamic and it makes you wonder, what are the Sixers going to do now? They fired Brett Brown, who had kind of stewarded that franchise through a lot of tough times. I mean, think of how bad some of those teams were that Philly ran out in those early years when they were going through the process. And then all the picks that were moved, the picks that were selected, the trades that were made, you know, like getting Jimmy Butler, not re-signing Jimmy Butler, going for Al Horford, and then not having Ben Simmons in the playoffs. Like it was really this perfect storm of everything that happened with the Sixers team that now leads them to where they are. And that's an even more interesting path is what they decide to do because they have so many different routes here, right? Like, you can bring in an established NBA head coach, or and I'm going to throw this out here, and I think a lot of people might be interested in this, but what if you stayed within your city who's not an NBA, uh, NBA head coach, but is someone who's a very successful coach, and you go Jay Wright? Mm. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do on the coaching front, but then what you do with the decision of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. These two players have had four years now to play alongside each other, to figure each other out. And now you have to make a decision if they can coincide with one another. And if you decide that they can't, then you have to pick and choose which one's more valuable. And so the summer for the Sixers is going to be an interesting one to watch, not only from who they select as their head coach, but how they choose to remake this roster because they're going to need a shooter. And then they're also going to need to figure out what they're going to do with their two all-stars. And it's not a decision that if I was Elton Brand, I would want to make or I wouldn't want to be a mm -hmm. part of because they're in a really tough situation right now. But that, that's where I sit on them. And it's a team that I've watched really closely over the last couple of years. One, because Embiid is a Jayhawk and I followed his career very closely. But I also thought that that was a team that should be achieving more than they have. So. 
But j- just to build off that, you know, we've been watching a lot of these NBA playoffs and we kind of get to this point where too much is too much, right? Mm-hmm. Like you get tired of some of the personalities, you love them every night they're there and it feels like that you welcome in them, them into your living room. We've gotten a lot of certain guys out of <laughs> And so oh, while yeah. you got to ask me about the Sixers, I was thinking about this. Who are the three most annoying guys that I think we've all grown, who we love, who we've gotten tired of because we've seen them so much? And I thought about this. Chris Weber, Stan Van Gundy, and Snoop Dogg in the commercial. <laughs> Which one has gotten on your nerves the most? Who you love? We all know we love them, but who's on your nerves the most? Okay, on my nerves the most has got, got to be Snoop. Because here's the thing. I love C-Web. And 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 Stan, like I, I grew up, you know, a Knicks fan back back in the day, and so I when I see and hear Stan, I, I kind of think QB Brown for my, that's what my mind does, and so I'm getting, I feel like I'm getting that tutorial, which I still feel like I need a lot, I do need. But the thing about about Snoop is like, so he carries Cameron around that same Corona bottle. I don't think he's ever taken a sip of that thing. No, I don't think he's no ever way. going to. No way. I yeah. wouldn't take a sip of Corona. Yeah, yeah. So not so, not a Corona guy. I'd have to be on a beach for it. Yeah, well, I don't ever go to the beach. Well, he's on a beach, so he's got no excuse. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Didn't even think about that. Oh, so, so is this the show? Are we done? Are we- <laughs> I, I, I think so. This was good, man. We're going to have to welcome Mac back. By the way, you never mentioned to me that he was a Jayhawk. We got to lead things with that. You never uh, mentioned it. Uh, Aaron, he's a Jayhawk. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, it's good to have you back, my man. Good it's to be good back. to have you back. Uh, but All special, right, well, go ahead for it. Go for it. Uh, I was just going to say a special thanks to our producer, Scott Turkin and Bruce Bernstein, and to our editor, Tom Phillip. Uh, Really appreciate all the work everyone does in putting this show together each and every day. If you are checking out our shows or if you haven't checked out the rest of our lineup here, way each and every week mondays as always is the mike wise show this week mike was joined by todd mcculloch they talked a lot of things including his movie career as well as maybe divulged into some fishing stories tuesdays is full court press with fans and adam sam Bassini dropped by he talked draft that is coming up and it's going to be interesting to see how the nba does that going all virtual uh, Wednesdays, you know, you're right here with Catch and Shoot 2.0. Every week, Otto and I will bring you NBA news and nuggets. We'll talk playoffs. And, you know, next week, we're going to dissect and dive a little bit deeper into some of these round two matchups. Thursdays is Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure. Stephanie Reddy from Turner Sports dropped by. That's a really fun listen. And Friday, we wrap up with the Pure Hoops podcast with Eric Newman and BJ Armstrong. They've been diving into all of these playoff series, giving you analysis and what to expect moving forward. Those have been a lot of fun listens, as well as really fun watches on our YouTube channel. And we do like to say, if you love our shows, if you enjoy them, if you come back each and every week, all that we ask is that you rate and subscribe and then share it on social channels when you like. And final thought, uh, I haven't done this in a while and I actually do like doing this because I feel like I'm doing something uplifting and helping out the, the community in the, in, in the sense of, of we're all trying to get to the same place. And that is uh, COVID numbers are going down. We know that, but it's not gone. So you know, if you're a college student going back to school and they tell you to stay in your dorm, stay in your dorm. If they tell you to wash your hands, wash your hands. If they tell you to social distance, social distance. And beyond that, uh, we still have to remember that uh, we have to make sure that, that, that we're striving for a better union with regard to racial justice uh, and making sure that we're treating everybody with the same level of decency and respect that we expect to be treated with ourselves. So with that, be safe, everybody. 
Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.